This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here in Coach Hogg's locker room on the Ward Scott Files, by golly. Broadcasting from uh, the Piney Woods of North Central Florida inside the Melton Law Studio. Protected 24-7 by crime prevention. Hey, crime prevention, worry less with uh, crime prevention security system. Get yourself a doorbell camera package theft system. Get a hold of them at cpss.net and uh, chill, relax. Don't worry too much about anything after that. Your doorbell camera will take care of everything, hopefully. Well, here we are with our sponsors, DDR and Style Cuts, R&R Construction. And the whole nine yards of people who sponsor us and help us and uh, support us. Thank you so much. Well, well, well. Coach Hogg's Locker Room. It's always uh, fun for me to do Coach Hogg's Locker Room because, uh, you know, having been in the coaching world once upon a time and athletic world, and this, that one thing, another, I find it is um, another part of our culture uh, that is right in there with everything else that uh, kind of dictates or describes who we are and um, fits right into the show in that respect. Because by a, 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 the sports, you can really come to understand a lot about it, a society's values. Um, I want to talk about Deion Sanders, first of all. Uh, he's an amazing character, as you know. He, along with Bo Jackson, in my under, my memory anyway, were the most uh, outstanding two-sport athletes. Uh, Bo Jackson played baseball and, of course, football, and Deion Sanders did both. Uh, of the two, Deion Sanders came out of it uh, more intact physically than Bo Jackson did, who hurt his hip. And Deion has really managed to make prime time his nickname a brand. And, you know, in today's culture, branding and marketing has an awful lot to do with how well you uh, raise money and how much visibility you've got. And uh, those who are good at it using the social platforms, I'll really get a pretty quick return. Um, Deion Sanders, uh, this is a story that's coming out of the college football publication by Brent Trottenbauer, who covered this. Um, Deion Sanders has three sons, um, and two of them play for him at Colorado. Uh, one is going to be uh, probably the starting quarterback, and another plays defensive back, like Deion Sanders did, defensive back, and also uh, Deion Sanders uh, ran kickoffs and punts back. He was just excellent. But uh, the oldest son is the one whom uh, the article is focused on in USA Today. Uh, this fellow is um, really the one that's building his father's brand. Now, this is something that you know, it's some people have been slow to catch on to and others have been really quick to catch on to and use these social media platforms to really market themselves. We broadcast off a social media platform. So um, Deion Sanders Jr. Uh, doesn't play football anymore. So now he being the oldest one is using a video camera and various social media channels to build an audience for Colorado football. And he does it one video at a time. And by that we mean uh, he daily records behind-the-scenes access to players, for example, uh, to coaches, uh, to the celebrity life of his father. And then attempts to flood the market with these videos as a strategy for marketing the Colorado football team and of course, the mystique of its association with his father. Uh, they have a YouTube channel 
Um, Sanders' YouTube channel is called Well Off Media, and it has uh, ballooned and gone crazy. Everybody is, uh, you know, rushing over there to take a look at it. It had 4.2 million hits. It's up from about 250,000 uh, when he first went over there to Colorado. Um, his media accounts, just through Deion Sanders uh, Jr.'s, the oldest son's work, have increased by 500% since Sanders was hired at Colorado University. Um, now, Colorado was 1-11 last year. It was its 15th losing season in the past 17 years. Now, imagine that. Imagine the University of Florida putting up with that. But now, the number of businesses and other registrants that are part of this name, image, and likeness collective world are looking to pay Colorado football players for the use of their names, images, and likeness. And that has increased since Sanders has come to Colorado 258%. Um, this is kind of amazing. Um, the Colorado Buffaloes, NIL exchange, since Sanders has come, has increased 258%. So Colorado additionally has just landed a top 25 class of newcomers. Uh, next year's recruiting class is ranked 13th in the nation, according to 247 Sports. So what is happening is these recruits and their parents evidently are looking at these videos. Sanders Jr. knows this because they tell him this when they visit the campus. And 99% of them, according to Sanders Jr., say, hey, man, we watch the videos every day. And Sanders says in an interview with USA Today Sports, you can have the best product on earth, but people don't know about it. You're not going to sell it. So you got to figure out how to showcase that product. And this whole showcase is about how great Boulder, Colorado is. And um, they're sort of running a reality show with a two-sport superstar and celebrity pitchman and all these sponsors piling on. So this program has got more personalized content on social media than any other university out there right now. And it's due to the work of Deion Sanders' oldest son. Now, here's what some of the videos show. Uh, they show things like this. Sanders Jr. and his colleagues have shown Coach Sanders eating at restaurants in Boulder. They've shown him socializing in the campus cafeteria. They've shown him going out for a pedicure. They've shown him giving a tour of the Colorado University facilities to the rapper Lil Wayne. That video alone got more than 900,000 views. Also, the video showed the Colorado University players featured in off-season workouts, lifting weights, throwing footballs, all of this against the natural beauty of, of course, the Colorado Mountains, which are right out the window there. And uh, uh, that's more of, 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 of a, a plus for all the uh, work that is being done here by the Sanders' son, just to say I'm trying to pull up. I'll have to do that a little bit later. Pull up a notification so I can see the chats. Um, the uh, Sanders Jr. video, just one video, dated February 14th, followed Dion Sr., 55, on a walking tour of the football field. And they climbed to the highest row in the back of the end zone, where Sanders seemed awed by the setting of his new job and his son's recording all this. It got 200,000 views 
as of last Tuesday. And this goes on and on. It showed Sanders Sr. socializing with uh, Derek Jeter, a clip that got 270,000 views. Uh, this is making Sanders Sr. the prototype coach for social media. And what he's doing with this is he's making a brand. He says Alabama doesn't need to do this because Alabama's already got a brand. And one of the things about Alabama is it is, of course, a championship school already, so it can sell itself without necessarily this kind of uh, marketing of themselves. So the genius of this is that Sanders may actually have more visibility right now than, say, the University of Alabama. I don't think we've got anything like this at the University of Florida. And quite frankly, I don't think following Napier around would be nearly as lucrative, shall we say, in the video world as following Deion Sanders around, who is a walking legend. And, you know, that's something to think about when universities hire coaches. If this really is a device for building marketability of a squad, of a, of a team and an NIL uh, brand and all the above, then you don't want a dud for a coach who's boring to video. So I don't know other than just throw it out there for you to think about what all that means. But it's certainly, in the case of the university out there of Colorado, Buffaloes, it has really paid off in recruiting. Um, it has driven the visibility of the institution. Everybody is watching this. In the NIL world, this is also part of the whole deal. In the NIL world, name, image, likeness, these Potential players see that, well, Sanders has got a brand. Colorado has got a brand. And if I come there, my brand, my individual brand, can piggyback on that brand. This is really space age thinking, I think, in my humble opinion. This is being out in front uh, of the cutting edge of what is going on. Rather than try to protest it, get involved with it, and make it work to its maximum. Uh, the coach's youngest son is now ranked third and fourth nationally in annual NIL valuations of potentially $1.6 million. And this is according to a rating service, service called on3.com. It ranks what the value of a player is in name, image, and likeness. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I mean, that's where we are today. That's why I wanted to start off Coach Hogg's locker room with presenting this presentation for you about what's going on. Now, you can protest the ethics of it, understandably, um, and all the above, but the fact remains, San Sanders has learned how to make it work as a positive, and it's not getting into whether or not it's ethically correct or not. That's for somebody else to decide. He is going to take it and run with it as he did those punt returns and make the most of it. And I'll see if I can find myself here real quickly. Um, so um, uh, think about that and what all that means for the game of football. I mean, have we reached a point where um, this is going to be an essential component of um, of how you how you conduct yourself and how you recruit and how you um, do all of the above? It's um, it's it, it looks as if this is the case, and uh, if it's not the case, why you may fall behind. You may find yourself uh, unable to um, compete. I mean, really. If this is a, if this is the situation where um, Colorado go, can go from one and eleven without any winning um, seasons, and all of a sudden you've got people beating the door down to come there and understand that they can make money there as a player, you may be onto something. 
The other thing which intrigued me in Coach Hogg's locker room, thank you, I found my chat line here. Um, this is the uh, – um, there's, a, there's a phenomenon in track, uh, and I, I, uh, I ran with the Florida Track Club for a while, ran in the Florida Relays, and I ran the quarter mile. I did not run the half mile, but as I trained with the guys out there, and this is circa 72, 70, 71, when all the greats were there, uh, Frank Shorter, uh, uh, we had Jeff Hauser, we had um, a, a lot of people there who'd come to work out here, as you know, under Jimmy Carnes and his his coaches. Um, in the longer, I, I watched them turn it. In those days, we were running yards. Now it's meters. I watched them turn the half mile, which is the 800 meter, basically into a sprint. We had a sprinter named Buford Brown, but he wasn't a sprinter. He was a half miler. But Buford Brown turned that doggone half mile into a sprint. I mean, it was all out all the way. But in the mile, you have strategy. And I always wanted to break a five-minute mile as part of my training. And I got close to it but never did it. Uh, there's a lot of strategy in running a mile and trying to break down that time as to when you go a little faster, when you coast, or whether or not you can stay with the pack and they can drag you along. There's a lot of strategy in running a mile, which I did not do. I only trained doing and, you know, once in a while, I would jump in and see if I could hang with the real super guys, in which I couldn't. I think 5-12 uh, was maybe 5-5, five, five, something like that, was the best mile I got. And I just couldn't get it under 5. But um, I knew that there was such a thing as a rabbit. A rabbit is a guy who is in the race, but he's not in the race to win it. He's not even in the race to finish it. He's there to set a pace. He's kind of like a metronome. Now, I used to train with a guy who held uh, the in, uh, the a mile record at that time, uh, Dick Berkeley. He ran a 354, I think. And he would tie jingle bells to his shoelaces and turn himself into a metronome. And I would run some quarters with him, not nearly as many as he ran. And I would listen to that ting, 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 ting. And he knew what his time was based upon the jingling of the bells tied to his shoelaces. So there's a guy named Eric Sawinski. He has one job. He is a professional rabbit. I found this person intriguing, so I thought I'd share it with you. Sawinski is a, uh, a, a professional rabbit. By that, we mean he sets the pace and he sets the pace uh, that then drops out of the race and never finishes a race. Um, he goes out, he's 33 years old and he is a professional pacer. And uh, he, he sets the pace for guys who uh, follow him. And the, one of the people who follow him is the American record holder for the indoor mile and this time is going to blow you away. I can remember when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. It was a 359.59 or something like that. But the point is he broke it on a cinder track. The tracks and the shoes and the equipment that they're wearing now have been a tremendous part of the lowering of the times, along with these professional rabbits. This fellow who followed Sawinski at the Melrose game, ran that mile in 347.38, if you can believe it. So Sorensky uh, shows up at meets. Uh, he runs uh, uh, about half of the race and then drops out. And he has a pedigree. He was a five-time All-American at the University of Iowa. He was a three-time national champion. He finished third in the 800 meters at the World Indoor Championships in 2016. He has run that half under 148. Um, and he is um, a, a tremendously fit athlete, but he's not there to win. He's not even there to finish the race. He has a sponsor, uh, meet directors pay him, and uh, 
he is considered to be absolutely essential in the race if you think you want to run faster than you know you can run because you have to have a good pacer. Um, when you're racing yourself, and I know this from trying to break that five-minute mile, you don't know when to sort of glide and when to kick and when your burst, because you can use up that burst of energy and you won't have it at the end. All kinds of things happen in that longer race. So he's there and he knows this pace that will put the people in the right groove to run the best time they can run. Um, there is, uh, uh, um, Sawinski, the last time he ran, he covered the first half mile at 153. And then he watched the winner from Ethiopia break the 347 record. So he is uh, basically says that the race has become, he's a full-time 800 meter runner. And he says it's basically, as I said a moment ago, watching Buford Brown, years ago, an exaggerated sprint. And he says, you're just going out there and kind of dying. And that's what I used to think when I watched Buford Brown run the half mile. Is he going to die at the end of this race? Because he certainly doesn't have anything left. But the mile is different. It's measured. You don't go all out all the way. In the 800, you go all out all the way. Um, we have got something going on in professional baseball that I talked about a few uh, shows ago. It's now arrived. It is the pitch clock. Major League Baseball now has a pitch clock. And he rolled it out in the ninth inning of a spring uh, training exhibition game between the Boston Red Sox and the Atlanta Braves on Saturday. Uh, with two outs, the bases loaded, and a full count, the Atlanta batter, Cal Conley, was called for a third strike after the umpire determined he had not been ready and in the batter's box with enough time left on the pitch clock. Now, this was an exhibition game. They don't play extra innings in the extra in the exhibition games. So this automatic strike also ended the game. So what we have now, we talked about it a while back, we have a new era of baseball. We are beginning to see artificial intelligence come in and take over the job of the umpire. And I have a very good friend who is a Hall of Fame umpire who commented the last time we talked about this, and he thinks this is due to advertising on television. That's what really slows the games down. And so to compensate for the slowdown of the games by the presentation interrupted by advertising, we've had to resort to these things of artificial intelligence, like the pitch clock. So um, we're going to see how this works out. Here's how the new rule works. A pitcher gets 15 seconds on the clock to deliver his pitch if no one is on base. 20 seconds if runners are on base. So the catcher must be set up in his designated area with nine seconds left on the clock. The batter must be in position with eight seconds left. And if the batter or the catcher takes too long to get ready or deliver the pitch, the batter is credited with an automatic ball in the count. If the batter takes too long, as umpires determined Conley did, during the exhibition game, it's an automatic strike. Now, it'll take a while. It hasn't come to college yet, um, but we'll see how this works out. There's a few established major league batters. They were ticketed with their first pitch clock violations this weekend. A Padres third baseman who took an automatic strike after missing his deadline. Um, but it won't bother him 
tongue-in-cheek, uh, we say here, because he has a $350 million 11-year contract extension. Uh, we don't know what the power of the pitch clock is going to be. It involves a pitcher, a hitter, a catcher. Uh, There's a lot of things, a lot of moving parts to this. Um, but it is something that has changed the game, uh, perhaps for the worse or the better. We don't know. Um, it's just like the NIL name, image, and likeness and uh, the collectives and all that kind of business. Uh, it's changed the game. And if you want to take advantage of it, you will figure out how to do so and proceed accordingly. It won't do much good to swim upstream and try to resist it because it is here. One more story about uh, billionaire Amazon Washington Post owner Jeff Bezos. He has been wanting to buy the Washington Commanders. Now, you know, the Washington Commanders used to be the Washington Redskins. And because of the woke crap, they had to get away with the Redskins. Um, uh, the owner, uh, Mr. Snyder, uh, didn't take too kindly to that. He uh, always remembered uh, that, and he didn't take kindly to this person, uh, Bezos, who wanted to buy his team. Because Bezos, as part as, as owner of the Washington Post, which is a liberal paper, is seen by Snyder as a liberal guy. Uh, Bozos had hired uh, an investment firm, Allen & Company, to help him get uh, his foot in the door to buy the team from Dan Snyder. And uh, the team is worth a uh, hundred, you know, sit down for these numbers, $155 billion. So uh, Snyder reportedly hired the Bank of America to explore selling the team in November of last year, even though he hasn't said definitely he's going to sell the team. Um, a um, unidentified bidder um, um, offered $5.5 billion. Uh, Bezos, I'm sorry, is worth $155 billion. The team is worth $5.5 billion, maybe $6 billion. Um, yeah, that's more like it. But Bezos has got plenty of pocket change to buy it, except that Snyder's not going for it. He holds a grudge against Bezos because he blames the Washington Post for years of negative stories about uh, the Washington Redskins and the multiple investigations into his contact conduct. And so it'll probably be the proverbial cold day and you know where when uh, uh, Snyder allows Bezos to put even a single nickel down on the table to buy the Washington Commanders, which they're now known as. So uh, uh, Coach Hogg's locker room today covered two or three things, which I think are kind of indicative of where we are as a culture. Uh, say Serenara to uh, college athletes. College athletes are now professional athletes, and the schools that do the best all up and down in all the sports, from women's basketball uh, to the big-time college football, are going to be the ones who figure out how to market themselves and get that marketing so that the uh, potential recruits can unabashedly come here and profit themselves from your marketing. Uh, I can think just of ladies basketball, for example, which you know I'm a fan of. Think what would happen if they took Deion Sanders' techniques and began videotaping every single thing. We've got kind of a videographer now whose name I won't mention. He follows this team around and posts things about them. He's just not working for them. He's not a professional videographer doing a professional marketing job the way Deion Sanders' son is doing. But imagine if you had somebody who just did that, nothing else but that, and then put those out on the social platforms or Instagram and all these places where these young people are watching and use that as a recruiting technique to bring players to women's basketball. 
If you notice, women's basketball has really ramped up here recently because of television coverage and really is competitive. Very, very good, hard-working teams are competing going in now to the SEC tournament. And there's a lot of parity in there with the exception of the big dog, which is South Carolina. But, you know, South Carolina gets challenged. They just happen to be ahead of everybody else. And so how do you make up this distance? Maybe you ought to take a look at the way a 1-11 and 11 team is making up the difference with recruits like the Colorado Buffaloes. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files after a break for the weather. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Oh, warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right. Welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. We're here with the weather thanks to Lewis Oil Chevron. That is Lewis Oil, and is a great uh, friends of ours, great supporters of ours. And um, be sure to get the uh, um, don't go to electric cars. That's we're going to get in. We've been that, that's a farce. Go pump up at the fossil fuel. By golly, the Chevron station by Lewis Oil. Well, we got sixty four degrees right now outside here, the command center, and we've got uh, piney woods in North Central Florida. But we're going to go up to eighty one. Hey, and if you want to get by your uh, deck chair and. Get out there and pretend it's summer. Go for it. Uh, we're probably going to get a cold snap, though, here for long. It's going to put us back into timely rhythm, I suppose, reality of nature. But right now, nature's even tricked itself. I mean, uh, the robins are out in the yard here. Uh, people think it's, by golly, the middle of May, and it's just the end of February. Uh, one more day coming up, and uh, then we're into March. So, uh, don't get tricked. We can still get hit with some things that the rest of the nation's getting clobbered with right now. You know, as I've been saying, we are a schizophrenic nation uh, in terms of weather. California is battling record-breaking snow and rain, and then the Northeast is getting ready to fight some winter weather here right at the end of February. And we're going to get some severe weather through the middle of the United States again today. I think we're going to miss it here 
But this is the earliest spring in 40 years uh, in many places in the U.S., and we're beginning to get uh, things blooming. Uh, let's just hope that the snap doesn't come along and take uh, that all off the off the table. So uh, enjoy it while you can. Uh, we worked outside here uh, on the farm quite a bit this weekend, and uh, and uh, the only thing you've got to be careful about is the pollen. The pollen allergy uh, outlook is real high right now. The tree pollen, which is pine pollen, and the grass pollen. So you've got to uh, you've got to kind of keep. We we could stand some rain really to knock that pollen down. Every time you go out to your vehicle, you might as well turn on your your washing devices and get the pollen off your windshields. Well, well, well. Here we are on a on the last Monday of February of two thousand twenty-three. So um, I'm covering an article that one of the members of the research team sent me, and I appreciate all those things that you all send to the Warthog Command Center. Um, uh, many, many things we take a look at that you share with us. Uh, we investigate stories. We look into them, and there's something to them. We share them with you. Uh, this is an interesting uh, story that's been sent to me. It's in Florida politics. It's written by Peter Schorsch, uh, who covers Florida politics. And there's an issue right now that's come up as a result of this very, very tragic uh, shooting of uh, one of our own here uh, in Orlando, whom I will never forgive Dion McGraw for being rude to. And um, there's a follow-up story to this, which is pretty interesting. I thought I would share this with you. Um, the question a lot of people are wondering now, or uh, uh, as it relates to the uh, eighth, uh, a, a Ninth Circuit Court State Attorney, Monique Worrell. Monique Worrell is a minority lady, a black lady, black woman, and um, we're watching her. And here is why. Uh, she is against applying the rules. As simple as that. Uh, and Peter Shores reminds us that last year, Ron DeSantis removed Hillsborough County State Attorney Andrew Warren, who is the son of Mike Warren, a builder here in our area, removed Andrew Warren from office, and that stood up in a court challenge because Andrew Warren pledged not to prosecute people violating the state's abortion laws. Now, DeSantis, Peter Source writes, did not suspend Warren for not prosecuting people who violated that law, but because he said he wouldn't do it in the future. Uh, um, last week, though, uh, you know, it may come up as he will once again go after people who don't apply the law. He did against Warren. He had to, he said, because this is why these state attorneys are in office. They can't pick and choose from a personal preference what the state of Florida says it wants the law to be about. Now, you remember that this gang member shot five people. We showed it on the Fort Scott Files, killed three, including our favorite local TV reporter. Then he killed a mother. Then he killed the mother's nine-year-old daughter. Now, here's the problem. In 2021, this kid was arrested by the Orange County Sheriff's deputies. And this was the scene. A car with three young men in it almost struck a cop car, so deputies pulled it over. And as they approached the vehicle, one of the young men tossed a firearm out of the car. Deputies at that time said there were several ski masks in the car, and they found cannabis as well. These guys were driving erratically, smoking pot, 
and they had ski masks. And the cops surmised that what they were pre-planning was an armed robbery spree. So the deputies arrested him and turned over the possession of the cannabis case to this state attorney, Monique Worrell. Now here is what the record was on these juveniles. Uh, these guys were hardened criminals, known gang members. The Orange County Sheriff, John Mina, said they committed repeatedly committed crimes that they needed to be removed from the streets. Here are some of the crimes. Grand theft auto, battery, resisting officer without violence, unarmed burglary of an unoccupied conveyance, grand theft, resisting an officer with battery, without violence, attempted robbery with a firearm, burglary of an occupied conveyance, grand theft. When in 2021, there was one of them referred for drug charges, and the case was referred to prosecutors. The state attorney's office said it wasn't suitable for prosecution. Now, most of the arrests occur when these guys are juveniles. But under this state attorney, Worrell may not find this suitable for prosecution. And if Worrell doesn't, has that, that has been the situation in Central Florida with his prosecutor's office, if Worrell doesn't, the question becomes, what will DeSantis do? That's going to be interesting to watch, and that's why I highlight it for you. These guys are not your kids skipping school. As I said, as soon as I saw this kid on the film, I said he was a gang member. The way he wore his hair meant something. The way they do hold their hands, everything is a signal, a code of the gang they're in. It's just not something that is done individually. Uh, the attitude and behavior of the guy, I always thought, was building his resume of violence on the street to have respect and status in the gang. He already believes nothing's going to happen to him. He's already been involved there with crime and found it to be not suitable for prosecution. So keep your eye on it. If this person is not really a term from Vietnam, terminated with the extreme prejudice, then we've got a problem, and we'll see what happens. This problem, we've reported on this, is all through this, you know, of course, he's a minority kid is all through our culture. Susan Rice, you remember her? She's just been picked by the Biden administration to lead a committee called the White House Steering Committee on Equity. And the purpose of this committee is to embed in the federal policy-making policy system, a focus on equity. Now, don't you think this message trickles down to the state attorney in Orlando? On February 16th, Biden issued an executive order. I am so sick of executive orders. They are in runs around Congress. This executive order is to, quote, further advance racial equity 
and to transform federal agencies with the goal of advancing an ambitious whole of government approach to racial equity and support for underserved communities and to continuously embed equity into all aspects of federal decision making. And this is being done by executive order. Okay? When the President of the United States, by executive order, does something like this, a, a, a state attorney in Orange County hears it. Believe me. The gang hears it. Believe me. So they're going to be established now agency equity teams. And they're going to submit annual racialized plans to Rice's steering committee. Who is Rice? This is, if you want to find an example of the deep state, this is the deep state. Did you elect Rice? Did you have any kind of input in the creation of this committee as a citizen? Did you choose her? How's this work? I mean, how does this go unchallenged? These equity teams are charged with the implementation of equity initiatives within their respective agencies and, quote, charged with delivering equ equitable outcomes for the American people. And this is going to result in equity training and equity leadership development in order to facilitate equitable flows of private capital. you got to keep your eye on this stuff. And this is the reason I'm reading this into the class today. you got to pay attention to this stuff. This is insidious. And you're going to pay for it. And you didn't vote on it. And you didn't have anybody there to, to protest it. Biden did this with a stroke of a pen. This is all in Breitbart. It's transformed the entire federal government into a diversity, equity, and inclusion cult is what uh, the um, writer of this, Aaron, Aaron, uh, who is the reporter on this, has concluded. Turning the federal government into an equity cult and has put equity czars. Now, this is, we've already covered this in the University of Florida. We've got the same thing set up in the University of Florida. It's the deans. The deans are the equity czars. Go look on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board, at all that material we posted just about the dance department at the University of Florida. How in the world do you take a dance and music department and cram equity, diversity, and inclusion into it? And the critical race theory, how do you cram it in there? Well, they did it. They did it. Go take a look at it. This is in Health and Human Services, an anti-racism plan. These are some of the titles. New Improvement Activity, Achieving Health Equity. There's a lot of gobbledygook and code words. I want to give that to you because this is all connected to the nurturing and protection of these gangs of kids. I assure you, it's related. You know, I titled the show today, The King and the Supreme Court. 
This is another example of a naked ploy to buy votes. And it is going to be heard by the Supreme Court. It'll probably take till August from them to make a decision. But you know what we're talking about? We're talking about Biden. Biden is right off of the student loan debt. The question before the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court reads the Constitution and sticks to it, the clear answer is no, Biden can't do this. But look what he's doing. It doesn't matter to him whether he can do it or not. He's going to do it and then make you make, make him not do it. And then make you out to be the bad guy. You see the lot you see how this works? So the question the Supreme Court is going to have to act on is whether the president can take away or Congress's power of the purse and act like a king. Now he's using COVID cover as a cover. And we know what we've always known that COVID got out of that lab in Wuhan. It didn't come from eating monkeys or something like that. As I said, from the very beginning, I had a friend who was the research physician who worked in the level four labs who said that what you do, if one of those viruses gets out, you nuke and seal the lab for 25 years. Obviously, Wuhan didn't do that. Because of this COVID emergency, Biden used that to cancel student debt for 95% of the borrowers. And he hadn't backed off. Now, the law that he corrupted was a law intended to help students in the military and offer limited relief to borrowers affected by an emergency or war. And before the pandemic, the provision was rarely used and only to make discrete changes. But the law got stretched to extend a student loan payment pause. And now Biden has tried to make it a permanent forgiveness of the debt. So, the administration isn't merely waiving or modifying provisions. It's rewriting the federal student loan program wholesale. Absolutely wholesale. And the administration knows its defense of this is weak, but they're going to make you make them stop um, through the court. And it's going to take time and it's going to end up if it's done politically astutely, making you who made it stop um, the villain, making the Supreme Court the villain, it'll issue all these comments then about packing the court or having term, you know, all this stuff will come up. It is all a an attempt to um, obfuscate constitutional law. The analysis here by the journal and other pieces that I've read and we've been reporting on now for months is the same. We've been saying this for a long, long time. That's unconstitutional, that it is a theft uh, by a runaway government and a naked ploy for votes. Well, well, well. Electric cars. Have you noticed that the ads are filled with all this romantic stuff about electric cars? But listen to this. Nicholas Barrio has written about where 
that energy is going to come from to fuel the electric cars. It's going to come, guess where? From fossil fuel. And he begins his article by saying, imagine a herd of elephants stomping through the savanna grasslands to the throbbing sounds of bulldozers preparing oil wells that will soon start feeding a 900-mile pipeline. It's a $10 billion project. And it's going to be absolutely essential if you want to have electric cars that the minerals and the fossil fuel supply the energy to produce the batteries. You're going to have crude oil wells. You're going to have mining. As I've said before, we did our pioneering here in the 19th century. But Africa, South America, these places have just begun their pioneering. You're not going to get them to stop pioneering. It's their turn. They now are going to do what human beings do. Seek wealth from nature. And the biggest wealth are the royalties from these minerals and these oil in terms of oil, 230,000 barrels a day at 4.5 billion. All this is boosting the African government's interest, ironically, in developing fossil fuel and developing mining sites or battery development. It's game on in Africa. Game on. You have something called total energies. Doing the financing. You have South Africa's Standard Bank. You have the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China. You have Japan's Sukimoto Mitsu Bank. These are all project loans. China, Japan. They're in there. Financing. And these are poor countries that are going to be yanked right into profit from their fossil fuel reserves, their, their mineral rights. It's going to be called an energy transition. And Irene Betabe, for example, is the permanent secretary at Uganda's Energy and Minerals Ministry. Juan Montes from Mexico City wrote this article. This is an international phenomenon. So here we are. Don't fall for it. Getting the romance and the exotic presentation of the electric vehicle which you need to fall on your sword and get in order to save the world from climate change, while the energy to make this available to you is coming from developing countries who could care less about climate change. It's their turn to profit from the industrial world. And they will. You're not going to stop them. China doesn't care about stopping them. Russia doesn't care about stopping them. Japan doesn't care about stopping them. There's so much goofy stuff going on in this country that you have to wonder, can we survive? Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.